are live for another episode of First Strike. This is KYT, joined by my very good friends. Before we start the show, got to make sure to plug, to plug, to plug my sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. Tonight, we uh, are super happy to be, to have to <laughs> ask the superstar to be back on our show as a special guest. We've got Brian Godley in the house, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite people in all of Magic. How's it going, Brian? It was better before you spread like slanderous memes about me all over the internet. <laughs> you literally crossed me out of the first strike banner and then photoshopped my head onto some guy in a suit. Like you can't find a picture of me in a suit. I'm a lawyer. There's a lot of pictures out there of me in a suit. You could have just grabbed one, but instead you photoshopped my head askew on someone else's body and then spread it all over the internet. What, what thanks I get for coming on the show again. <laughs> uh, it's kind of gold. Um, we had discussed the idea beforehand and I actually told my graphics designer to just like, okay, just cut up Brian, put him at the bottom. And he clearly went a completely other direction, uh, Alexi. Uh, so shout-outs to, to him for uh, coming up with something. The end result ended up being way funnier than I thought. So, yeah, huge shout-outs to him. Glad to have you back to, to pick your brain on Dominaria. And, of course, to finally get you, your thoughts on something that's not card-related to get your all uh, on the new policy changes as well. Because I'm always like happy to pick your brain when, whenever – uh, it's about like streams or uh, esports stuff or uh, policy changes or what, how you think about certain mechanics. So excited to pick your brain on that. Uh, tonight we've got Derek Pipe as usual, the new Mr. Negative in the house. How's it going, Derek? Things are going wonderful. I'm uh, trying not to be as negative now that you've called me Mr. Negative, you know, so everything is going great. I love Magic the Gathering and my life is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks. I mean, I hear, I hear the fans when people like um, commented, listeners like, we don't listen in just to hear someone crap on the game every week. And wow. Fair point. Fair point. Wow. Okay. Um, and we also got Connor Bryant uh, returning. Really happy to see Connor here, and he's been grinding, putting in the grind at Flipside, uh, getting a lot of video content and high quality production. Uh, what's going on down there? You guys decided to up your game. Yeah, so I've been doing the content editing at Flipside for the last about year, and uh, finally getting it where I want it, doing some YouTube videos, Facebook videos, a lot of awesome written content, so definitely check it out. Is it like you guys got some video editor or something? Or, or... Uh, Actually, one of the guys we just hired, like he just does like works in our uh, processing part of the company, and he's just like, yeah, I'm a film, like, film major, love video editing. And I was like, all right, sign, sign you up, like, let's go. So uh, it's been pretty cool making video content. Definitely a challenge, but it's fun. I think the for sure the editing, the lighting on point, something that a lot of magic con- content producers don't really have access to. They're usually filming with a webcam, right? Just like we are basically here for strike. Um, and to have that production, to see that, I think that's why you see a lot of channels go up a level and get all these mm. views because of their high production value, even though. Some of them, like you, you've never heard of them, but because their quality is so high, your, your eyes are really drawn to them. And it's not like the old days. I do think the, and people might disagree, I do think the tool you use does matter uh, compared to maybe 10 years ago when people were starting. Everyone was just entering YouTube and you could uh, just take a phone camera or something really crappy, have low quality because everyone had low quality. But now it's like, to really set yourself apart, there's some high quality stuff out there. People are really investing in like 4K cameras and stuff like that. And you're going to be on, you know, watching from the sidelines if you don't have that quality, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. It's like it kind of just use some authority in the situation. Like, oh, I, I care about this. I invest all this time and money. So it's kind of like that first barrier to entry. So it's definitely leveling up the magic content world, which I really, really like. Because I think we just we can keep making better and better content and keep improving it. And I'm excited to be part of that process. All right. I'm just going to jump in. The first topic was the, uh, some of the policy changes, especially uh, game layout that I'm going to uh, read. Players in competitive and professional rules enforcement level matches must arrange their cards, tokens, and other accessories on a battlefield using the following layout. 
from the player's perspective, non-lands must be kept closer to the player's opponent than lands. And non-land cards should be between the land area and the edge of the table closest to the player. Then goes uh, the other cool key point was um, permanents are also creatures, dry arbor or a treetop village uh, that is currently a creature must be placed in the non-land area. So it's no longer, you can't really have it hiding amongst your lands. People have to know that there's a 1-1 one, one in play. Uh, start with you. Derek, what are your early thoughts? Are you a lands in front type player? No, I think this is wonderful. Not only because the lands are not in the middle of the battlefield, but you can no longer put your your like dried arbors in your lands. If they're a creature or they have some sort of effect on the battlefield, they have to be in front. So you can't like sneak them in. And also like you can't you have to put your graveyard near your library. You can't have it on the other side. As a moto player, like Having everything in one area is just so much nicer than playing against somebody who has like Dried Arbor in their lands and then like random enchantment over on the right hand side and like lands all over the table. It's like, no, like this is driving me insane. Uh, I think it's such a good change. Shout out Wizards for doing something. I love it. <laughs> do you not do you not feel anything for everyone that says that this sucks? People who are used to who are on the team's team lands in front? No, like, if you want to play lands in front, play commander, uh, brawl, play brawl, I guess. Uh, that's the new thing right now. Uh, don't play lands in front at a Grand Prix. Come on, let's be real here. Oh, Brian, you're all about, like, making everything streamlined, and I assume, before I ask you that, you're all in favor for this? Yeah, I think this is just a no-brainer. Like, there's really not a lot of cost to installing uniformity in the way the game state should be presented. It's it's really big for coverage. You definitely don't want board states to look different depending on who's playing. You need things to be pretty consistent. Um, and, you know, there's just a, a whole bunch of feel-bads that come along with, um, like, the Dryad Arbor situation we saw Nassif get kind of punked with a few probably a couple months ago now um and there's room for angle shooting so if you have the capability to squeeze it out like what's the cost i don't see any cost here i get you may have done things a certain way for a long time but you know adjust it's really not a huge issue um you know we used to do a lot of dumb things back in the day with how we arranged our permanence and what we used to keep track of the game state for years and years everyone just had 20-sided dice that kept track of their life totals we've all moved beyond that because it was a silly way of doing things uh, this will be viewed the same way. It's just good, clean updates uh, that the game only benefits from. Um, what's interesting is that hiding it in your lands, according to uh, Air Force Live, is a punishable offense. Uh, so watch out. <laughs> watch out, peeps who are still playing with Dryad Arbor, especially you Boggles players. And, and um, Any last thoughts on, on this, Connor, from your perspective? Yeah, I kind of actually don't like it. I wish they did just the Dryad Arbor part. I, like, kind of wish that they would just let it be. Like, Magic is this game, ultimately, like, has the most creativity in any field. It's like, like, why not just be like Yu-Gi-Oh! that if we're going to make these certain zones, it's like you have to have everything lined up and perfect. No, I like when people play, like, with their graveyard in a weird place. Like, if I asked you how Adrian Sullivan plays, you'd be like, oh, yeah, he plays with all of his cards upside down and his graveyard spread out in front of him. But that's, that's, like, unique, and I think that's a cool part of Magic. And it kind of like puts you off your game when you play against someone and their stuff's in all weird places or whatever. But I think that's part of it. Like, I think you kind of have to deal with that. On stream, standardize it. Make it look all the same so it's super easy to understand what's going on. But I, I don't think we need this kind of like rigidity. We just need people not angel shooting with riot armor. So it's like just address that with its own thing, really. Oh, wow. I, I wasn't expecting that, Dirk. <laughs> I just can't. Uh, I don't know. Like Brian said, there's no cost to just doing it all the same. And once you have a guideline that says this is what's going on, there's no gray area. So you're not like, oh, well, they only fixed the Dryad Arbor thing. So if I want to leave my enchantment over here uh, and my opponent forgets about it for the rest of the game, like that's the way it goes. Or like if if they have a, what's the card, uh, spreading seeds on their land and I attack with a bunch of merfolk, and they forget about it, or, like, some weird placement issue like that, like, angle shooting is just not good for the game. Uh, I just don't think that we want any gray area 
unless you're playing commander, like maybe you love casual formats and you can put your commander in your command zone wherever you want. I don't care. Just not at a Grand Prix, please. Too much. <laughs> All right. Any last retort, Connor? Or you think we're just... I, th- I think let us play in the sandbox. Like, let it be. Who really cares? It doesn't need to be standardized. Like, I feel like that's the thing that kind of prevents like more casual players from playing at their like local PPTT or whatever. Like all, all these stuffy rules and everything. Like I just want to play modern, play my stupid Tron deck or whatever. Like just let them do it. I don't really care. Just as long as their dry armor isn't hidden underneath stuff. Like I'm fine. That's all I need. Yeah, casual players like it a lot better when there's room for them to be angle shot by people who are more experienced with them. That's really what they're here for. So let's just maximize the chances for that to happen. Yeah, let's just uh, get all the casual players out to the pre-TQ so we can angle shoot them and make our money back. Yeah, that's going to bring them out a lot more. Definitely nobody's going to uh, leave frustrated after something like that happens. <laughs> oh, wow. Because as long down. as they get to put their, their stuff in the order they want, that's the creativity everyone's involved in Magic for. It's just like... You know, I could have thousands and thousands of cards to choose from and, and make a deck that really, you know, plays in the way I want and is an expression of myself. But the way I choose to express myself is by the arrangement of my permanence on the battlefield. It says a lot more about me that I'm the type of person who puts my enchantments on the right side uh, of the enchanted creature as opposed to the left. And that's what I'm in this game for. It's just that expression of, you know, the, the collage of the battlefield that I get to paint as a tapestry every time. That's, that's, that's my go-to move right there. I just really deep. Yeah, that's that was like borderline offensive, but all right, Brian. But I just think that like like have you seen like Patrick Chapin play? Like none of his permanents are touching. They're all separated, like all kind of spread over the battlefields. Like I think that like don't make people change. You know what I mean? I think that adjusting to where the place the things are in different spots is part of the game. I think that's kind of like part of magic is that the things don't have a specific location. And putting them in certain spots just to clear it up seems great. But like I don't know. I think it just kind of like affects some of the integrity, and I get that it definitely like helps with angle shooting and stuff like that. But beyond the dry arbor thing, I don't really know like what angle shooting there is. It's not like when you have an unactivated man land that has to be up front. Like it's still in your lands until it becomes a creature. So it's really only the dry dry arbor or like tapping birds and putting them with their lands. People forget about them. Like besides that, I don't see what angles to be shot. So like why why put this like rigidity on it? That's my main thing. But, but I mean, you, you literally said, though, one of your reasons was that the doing so throws your opponent off. It puts them in a position where they're not playing the game because you're organizing your permanence in a different fashion. And the reason Magic has lasted 20 plus years is because there's a lot of things that have been part of the game that people stopped and said, oh, wait, this is stupid. If we get this out of the game, the game can continue to last. Cheating used to be a huge part of the game. Turns out that wasn't great for the long term uh, health of Magic the Gathering. Uh, Mana Burn was part of the game. That's gone now. The stack was part of the game. Interrupts were part of the game. All of these things were previously essential parts of the game. And someone stopped for a second and said, wait, there's actually nothing being added to the game by having these things present. What we need to do is streamline, um, make things more uniform, easier to understand. And that's exactly what this move is. And I, I, I just don't think anyone's going to be sad about this. You're probably not wrong, but long live mana sources, all right? Long live the mana source. Also, like, if they just change these things, like if magic was introduced where you had to put your graveyard and lands in a specific spot, you wouldn't even notice if they changed it. So the fact that they're making a change for the better, just like, you're just saying that, oh, well, everybody remembers it this way. It's like, well, that's just how you remember it. That doesn't mean it's specifically better because you remember it that way, right? Man, I'm, I'm loving this. You don't get, you know, I, I try to listen to the game podcast all the time right before the show as I head, and I don't hear fired up like, like this. You're laying, you're laying it on Connor, Brian. I love you. It's, it's um, just because I have, I have so much rage built up against Connor. Because for people who don't know, Connor and I spend a lot of time together and travel to tournaments together a lot. In fact, just recently, um, I, I left GP Hartford uh, early because I did terribly. And so I left Connor my sleeping bag, or excuse me, my, my air mattress so he could sleep on it and, you know, all of my bedding that comes along with it. And Connor took a new blanket from the hotel room and added it to my bedding. 
and I had to pay the hotel for this blanket that Connor added to my. Hold on, my hold, on hold on. But, no, no, I'm going to give it to you. you. This is a fabulous know. blanket. It's a fantastic <laughs> blanket, and I'm really excited you got it for me. It was <laughs> only twenty five dollars. That's a great deal. It was I, a good deal. I, I got you a real good bargain, Brian. You should not complain. <laughs> wow, <laughs> the stories, uh, Connor. When you were last on the show, you had one an online uh, PTQ. Made it to PT. Unfortunately, if I remember correctly, it didn't go as well for you. Um, and, but you're you're now back into the modern testing grind. Yeah, just um, I just played GP Hartford, played a pretty stock humans list, went ten five. Um, just trying a lot of different stuff in modern, playing some like start prospectors, shuffling that up. Um, I really like the like a uh, quarter call index. Those are kind of like my jam. I've been playing with different versions of those. So just playing a lot of different modern decks. The format's really fast right now, so I think that like just adding more and more acceleration to your deck seems like a great idea. I'm just trying to push in those ideas. Is there anything you can tell us about some of your uh, earliest prospector moves? Like, what what, what other cards uh, are part of these decks? So, like Warren Instigator is kind of good, I think, but I don't know. The format seems really tough for it right now because like when you like go off, you just make a bunch of one ones, but every deck in the format just has a bunch of creatures in play. So like even when you go off, sometimes you lose. So I think it has to kind of either be um, like more dedicated combo deck, like try to empty and bushwhacker in the same turn more consistently, um, or maybe just go bigger and just try to put like Cranko into play on turn two or three, or like Orn Sedator and or Mana Acceleration. I think it just has to go bigger. Like making just a couple one ones on turn two or three isn't isn't going to be enough generally. So just go as big as possible. Cranko Mob Boss seems like a pretty good payoff if it lives, but Again, there's so much creature removal and so many blockers and everything. I don't, I don't know how the prospects for Prospector are. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Um, did, did you end up playing uh, your pet deck at the PT? Did you end up playing, like, Dredge or something? Oh, I did, and it was not a good choice. It was not good. Um, a lot of Tron, a lot of Bottles uh, in my path, and those are not winnable matchups. Uh, so, yeah, it definitely was not the best choice for the PT. I kind of wish I'd moved off of it, but I was pretty committed to it. Uh, I probably should have played Hollow One, honestly. It was like doing all the same things, but better and faster. But I wouldn't have found Goblin lore, so my dad probably would have like way worse than the Japanese players. Um, where do you see Dredge now? Is it just a worse Hollow One deck? I I think so. The format's like too fast for it right now, um, and people play like, like Leyline the Voids and their fast like aggro decks. So I think that Dredge is not in a great spot right now. I think maybe give it a month or two, format slows down a little bit more, people play more sweepers or path devs aisles, and Dredge gets done again. But um, a copy top-aided the Team GP in Sydney that had like two seismic assaults in it main deck, and I really want to try that. I don't think it's good, but it, I don't know. It's interesting in the format. Mm. All right. Um... Again, I'm really inspired to have you on, on Brian. Um, when we did Shaheen's, uh, our episode last week with Shaheen, we had talked about KCI, how I won the GP, and how Shaheen had called like exactly a year ago that he thought it was broken. And I think we're at a point where, where we're getting really close to the ultimate KCI list. And in on the episode itself and in the comments to that episode on Facebook, People were worried about Damping Sphere potentially being a uh, cyborg's card that would make KCI a lot worse. What was interesting to hear on the game podcast that Jerry disagreed with Brian. Brian had it in his top 10 list. Uh, Jerry kept repeating that, you know, it just does nothing. And for him, even Stony Silence, two mana spells are too slow against certain decks. He didn't like it on, on the draw against Tron. Um, what are your thoughts on the impact of Damping Sphere, uh, Connor? Yeah, I kind of tend to agree with Jerry. It's like, it's really good as Storm and Tron, for sure. Um, and it's good as Crocodile Iron works, but it's like, if I'm going to put cards on my sideboard, like, I'd rather have, like, a Stony Silence or something that, one, always turns them off, like, make sure they just can't really do anything against my deck. Um, and it's just, like, more widely applicable. Debbing Sphere is, like, a really good silver bullet, so maybe, like, Lantern picks it up as, like, a war target, something along those lines. But I just have a hard time seeing that be, like, quote, the answer in the format. Hmm. I'm on Team Brian for this. Brian, I, I think I think, we're, I think this is going to see a lot of play. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I'm with you. I, I, I still believe it'll see play. I, I think 
I think Jerry's point is that it will rarely be the optimal solution, which I agree with. There's there's other solutions that you can take on, but there will come a point where these three decks, which this card very effectively targets, um, being Tron, Storm, uh, and KCI, will be a significant portion of the metagame. I don't know if it's right now, um, but you know things are very cyclical in modern, and at some point things are going to line up where you need dedicated hate cards for those three things. And I think Jerry's point too is that people a lot of times in modern are like, oh, I have this reactive card that answers your primary strategy, so I'm good in the matchup. Well, that's not how modern works because all the decks have a level of resiliency to the hate and can eventually execute a game plan which um, you know, kind of renders that card invalid. So it often needs to be backed up with either your game plan being presented um, or you know, just a clock, some, some beaters that go with it. One of the things Damping Sphere has going for it, uh, in, as opposed to something like Blood Moon, because I've talked at length about how I don't think Blood Moon's a very effective card against Tron, is that it costs two. So you get your three-drop turn back, you're able to play two threats, you're able to move forward on board uh, at a much you know, higher rate than you normally would be if you were utilizing something like Blood Moon. So it gets points there. Um, so, you know, do these cards... Do these type of reactive hate cards have problems in modern? A hundred percent. But if you're cognizant of those problems and build your deck in such a way that you're not just like, oh, I played my hate card. I'm okay now. You can't beat me. Then ultimately, they're, going, they're still going to be beneficial to your strategy. And that's the way I see Damping Sphere is that it has a home. Um, you know, it's not going to be omnipresent in the metagame. But when it's good, it'll be very good and very effective at what it does. And in certain decks, again, you know, there's decks where that you have better cards than Damping Sphere, 100%. I don't dispute that at all. Um, but there's some decks where being able to cover all three of these matchups at once is a really, really big deal for you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm far from an Affinity Master. My first instinct is that something like Affinity is just supposed to clock those decks faster than they can deal with you, and playing any reactive cards is a bad idea. But if I'm wrong about that, then Damping Sphere seems to fit pretty well there. Um, you know, you can envision other decks which normally don't have access to these type of spells due to their mana base. Um, maybe even in Legacy, it could see some play. You know, there's the Ancient Tomb decks, which can power this out uh, very effectively. Is it better than something like Thorn or Sphere there? It's hard to say. You know, you kind of have to have more uh, big mana decks going on. And obviously, your own mana is stunted by Damping Sphere. So that's problematic if you're Ancient Tombing it out. Um, but I don't know. There, there's options there for sure, and I think the card is too broad, and once it's in play, too effective. And his argument about not hitting the first spell cast is valid as well. I think that was a good knock against Damping Sphere, but ultimately, you're still going to have to answer the card before you can combo off as a Storm player. You don't necessarily have to remove it to be able to win as a Tron player, um, but you know, it's the same thing as Blood Moon, where you're not doing the usual proactive stuff you can do. And I don't think KCI can win through it realistically. So, um, you know, take that for what you will. I, I think that I think that it's going to see play. It's not going to define the format or anything. Okay, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um... Cards, cards related to KCI, like we brought up, Shaheen brought up uh, the, the Antiquities Award, Blue Saga. Had you thought about its modern applications as well, uh, Brian, as a cyborg card against uh, attacking the usual anti-artifact hate cards and bringing that in? Uh, Shaheen thought of it as a, an amazing uh, piece to the KCI deck. Yeah, I agree with him. I think it's a fantastic sideboard option for KCI. Uh, you know, they just hit their third saga point and they'll win the game in most spots. Again, if you're doing things like playing Damping Sphere and not presenting a proactive clock or, you know, trying to ancient grudge them out or something silly like that, I think the Antiquities War is a very good magic card. I think it'll see play in Standard. I think it'll see play in Modern. I don't know about Legacy. It takes me a little bit longer to unpack that stuff and to look for, you know, other things which kind of invalidate it. But, but certainly in Modern and Standard... Uh, Antiquities War is going to be a good option in a lot of spots. And probably in Standard, there's going to be entire archetypes built around it. it it's just powerful. Uh, it takes some work, but with the right support, it's a good card. Derby, do you have any thoughts on, on Dapping Sphere? Yeah, yeah uh, not really. Um, I guess like one thing I would say about cards when they come out in a new format, we see this often, is that 
there's sort of like a, a bias. People think that it, it breaks the format and it doesn't. Um, more often than not, I find when they print new cards, it's not supposed to break the format. Like this is a card that definitely looks like it's tuned towards beating those decks in modern, but not hosing them completely. Um, and I think that anybody who feels like this card just beats those decks is not really uh, understanding exactly what the card does. And like the, the whole idea of the Antiquities War also being printed shows that the decks have other ways to win. Just doesn't seem like the best possible for me. It's really good against um, Amulet, though. So I know Edgar is somewhere crying that it's printed. But uh, other than that, I don't really know what else to say about it. Okay. I'm going to answer a question in chat. Mike, Matt Whitehouse says, effective against Halloween since they can't play Halloween for free. Does that sound pretty good to you, Connor? Uh, that's a little bit narrow. It doesn't hit very much else in their deck. Um, I guess you stop with their multiple cantrip turns or whatever, but I'd much rather have like a Thalia or something like that instead of a Dampening Sphere um, for that matchup. There's definitely some weird applications for it across the format, like getting on Snapcaster Mage in theory, but like not that great. There's a bunch of different like stuff that's like just not good enough to want it to bring it in. Um, but I don't think you want it against Hollow One. Doesn't seem quite impactful enough. For uh, for sake of argument, I don't exactly know if this is how the rules work, but I think if you if if you play Dampening Sphere and Hollow One's like the third card played the turn or whatever, it makes Hollow One cost like. Eight, but if you cycle four cards, Hollow One is still zero, right? Because it costs two less for each spell cycle or card cycled. So you actually can still play it for free, I think. If I understand that's how the rules work. I don't entirely like I know that that's sometimes how the rules work. I don't know. I'm not a judge. But <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. All right, hopefully <laughs> I'm gonna if anyone in chat knows the answer to that, or it's going to ask Jonathan Good after and get his answer tomorrow. Um, I think I think Derek's right um, because it would it just tax it onto the cost. So like for like you can like delve away for Thalia, but you can yeah, delve yeah, yeah. the card for Thalia. I think it's yeah. like that, um, but they have to discard like more and more cards to do it. You know what I mean? So I just yeah, slow like it down, but it doesn't stop it. It's like it's like Chalice, like. If there's a, you can pay an extra one for Chalice and it'd still be two, right? Like you can pay three for, with Trinisphere, but X is still right. one, right? Yeah. So I, I think it works like that. Yeah, I'm not I, entirely sure. I, th- I believe it does also, just because like, this is a typical extra cost effect. Yeah, yeah, re- reduction. Okay. Um, Connor, what, what, with that said, since you, you've been grinding modern more, more than the rest of us, I think. Uh, which deck would you be comfortable playing uh, this weekend if you had a major tournament? Um, I think Humans or Hollow One, whichever one you're more comfortable with. I think those are just like the two best decks in the format, honestly. Um, people can try to adjust to you and everything, but your deck is just... Both decks are pretty fast, fast, pretty consistent. Um, Humans is way more flexible than Hollow One is. Hollow One just kind of does its thing but Hollow One's a little bit more broken and has more busted draws, so it's kind of like the trade-off. Um, but yeah, I would, I'd probably pick Humans or Hollow One. No no, no love for the KCI. Uh, that's, that's a real nerd deck. I, I don't know if I'm ready for that one. Uh, <laughs> I think, the thing about KCI is like, it's like not that fast of a combo deck. It like always goes off on turn four, basically, but it, it isn't crazy fast. It doesn't ever really have turn three kills. Um, so I, I kind of want to stay away from that, just the format's so fast. Rob, uh, is Casey a nerd deck? <laughs> yeah, it's it's, uh, it's pretty it's pretty hard to play if that's what you meant. The <laughs> <laughs> um, deck that I, I hope Brian like, I would love to see Brian play that deck with enough practice. Can I catch Why, you with do, that? Do you love stupid mistakes on a regular <laughs> basis? Because that's what you're gonna see. <laughs> you do it like two hours over time yeah yeah i'm going to time every single time i don't know if you ever watched me actually play a game of magic kyt besides that time i beat you at the pro tour but other than that oh! I, I, I don't think you've ever watched and 
it's not a thing of beauty. Like there's cards all over the place. I'm fumbling, dropping things. You don't want me playing KCI. It's not a good idea. What was uh, what was the deck you played against me? Uh, it was Rally versus Ramp. What was the Ramp deck in that format? I don't even remember. It was a red green uh, Dragon Lord Atarka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, okay, that that I mean that PT is when like not having a superstar um, team really really hurt me because they they had solved the um, Insol Artifact deck. Like it turned out to be the best. I think. That's the conclusion, or what, what do you think Rally ended up being the best of that format? I think... No, no. I mean, at the end, Rally was the best, but the, the Rally version I had was horrible. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was just not good. I went 5-5 five and five at that Pro Tour, but 6-0 limited. Um, yeah, I, I think by the end of that format, Rally had come around to having the correct list with things like Elvish Visionaries, but I don't even think we had Elvish Visionary in our list. It turned out like that. That PT turned out uh, Portora High Magic Origins. I think for that tournament, what 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 people had in Soul Artifact ended up being the best deck to play for that tournament. Oh, if you Mono had Red. Mono, but, Mono Red was a little bit better, but they were like the that, yeah. yeah, they were the two decks for sure. Yeah, Joe Larson ended up taking it down with Mono Red after all. So, and I had slow ass Red, red Green Dragonlord Tarka, and I remember uh, someone else on our team that was like really playing like the Black Enchantment where you lose the game eventually <laughs> was messing around with that. So I uh, forget its name. Demonic Pact. Yeah, Demonic Pact. Demonic Pact, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We got Robin Bryan, one of the original duos. We're hoping to get uh, Doug. So we had like everybody who would have needed Vince to come back on. Um, we had mentioned uh, Cyborg and, and Cyborg Space, especially like uh, trying to be the most efficient or effective with Damping Sphere. Uh, th- there is. I think this question is sort, sort of close uh, from The Nation by Jeff Bugen, who, who said, who wanted us to answer this question. I've been having great success versus the field, but one deck. Is it worth changing like five cards main to try to make that matchup better or just hope to win the matchup lottery in standard? The deck I'm losing to is Blue White Drake Haven. Uh, let's start with you, Rob. Did, did he say what he was playing? <laughs> no. I missed that part. I, no, I, I went back. I was like, but what deck are you playing? Uh what's bad to Blue White? He's probably playing he's probably playing Derek's deck, I guess though. He's probably playing Saltai. That's probably pretty bad to, uh, so, I'm not even playing Saltai and it's your deck, in- Derek. I don't care if you're playing it, it's your deck. What are you talking about? It's it, when I think of Saltai, I think of Derek. Anyways, Weird. um assuming he's playing green black, there's not a lot you can do that deck's just been like soft to wraths since uh this time last year <laughs> i guess <laughs> pretty much when when we uh when we started talking about uh about the matchup against mardu and and brian uh you know shared with everyone how you should be sideboarding uh so that you, you know that matchup goes from unwinnable to unlosable uh that being said uh in general it depends i guess you know if you can if you can give up the cards to try and uh gain five ten percentage points without like making your other matchups miserable then yeah it's something worth exploring right because you're like gaining quite a bit for not giving up that much but if it makes it so that it's you know the matchups where he's like 60 or 70 percent or he feels that way turn into like 50 50 then no i would just you know play play the standard matchup lottery i mean that's what you do in modern seems to work out for some people sometimes I don't think blue white is is uh, is that popular at this point, anyways. So I think it's probably safe to be uh, completely dead to that deck um, at this point, anyways. That might change as the meta evolves. I don't know if the rest of the gang have anything to add. Uh, somebody in chat said he's playing control. Uh, I don't know how the matchup control versus. Uh, what is it? Drakehaven works, but normally when I sideboard into a control deck post board ever against the Drakehaven deck, they just can't really win. So I find like as long as you play tight and dedicate enough sideboard slots to any deck in the format, you can beat it. Uh, skewing your main deck is usually incorrect unless the format is actually like 80% of that meta. So like for aggro decks, I would skew your main deck. Against control decks, I would skew your main deck. But against one specific archetype, I would not. It's just not worth your your uh, your card 
uh, choices. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So no, don't do it. Yeah, I, I agree with Derek. As odd as that sounds, the <laughs> the net benefit <laughs> doesn't outweigh the cost. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Um, again, as always, if you guys have any questions, feel free to, to leave leave it as a comment on our episode on YouTube, leave it on Facebook, leave it in the Nation, um, whatever. We're going to take a look at them. Uh, let's jump uh, into the standard. And Derek's been the uh, main guy active in standard streets uh, with the cards already being released on MTGO. What have you been grinding, Derek? Uh, I'm on blue-black mid-range. My list actually got posted on the Wizards and uh, Goldfish website this morning. Uh, I 5-0'd yesterday with it. Um, I've, I was, like I said before, I was playing against a lot of aggro. I find, like, literally 80% of the moto uh, meta right now is aggro because the, the format's very undefined. And you have people trying to jam something new, and then you have people trying to, like, just get to the ground quick and kill you before you can do anything important. And so if you look at the 5-0 list specifically, you have aggro decks, and then you have really weird control decks. Um, and then like also like some weird combo decks that are probably just dodged aggro or like got lucky against them. Um, for the most part, I find going forward, uh, you'll, si- you'll see people's decks like move towards the middle. Like there'll be a couple more mid-range decks and like anti-aggro decks. Um, as for control, I think control might be good again with syncopate. It's just a better sensor and uh threats in dawnbringer are much better than the threats we had before you don't have to play black to play scarab god um and i think fumigate and settle the wreckage went up in value with all these aggro decks running around um as for god pharaoh gift decks i think they're pretty bad again because syncopate makes them bad and if people are playing control like it's going to be hard to have a god pharaoh's gift stick around um and same with Scarab God. Scarab God might be getting worse with so much good removal and counterspells. Um, so maybe controls it. I don't know. Uh, you love Syncopate, so you're just like messing around with, with one for now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a huge uh, proponent of Funnels. If, like, if the card's good in the deck, shove more in. If the card's bad, get it out of there. Uh, before I had a Supreme Will as a flex slot, and I realized that Syncopate is just better. Um, yeah, when I was playing Ban Coco, I had two Clash Wills in the main, and it was great. It was so good. Nobody saw it coming. Ugh. Oh, what a glorious time. Anyways, yeah, uh, Syncopate is hot right now. Get them all their five cents. They're going to be 10 cents soon. Are you gonna? Do you think you're gonna modify your, your blue black include more though? Do you, do you foresee yourself doing that? Um, it really depends. Like syncopate's really bad in the draw, and syncopate's really bad when you're behind. And with so many like random aggro decks and like token decks coming up, like if your if your opponent commits to the board, you have a syncopate in your hand. Like what are you gonna do? It doesn't do anything, right? Like I also have a one in moment of craving. Maybe I should have two moment of cravings instead, right? It's, it's, it's hard to tell right now. Um, I'm just messing around with a couple numbers, and then I'm going to like move them back and forth based on what I see is happening. But yeah, that's where I'm at. Brian, Brian actually had Syncopate as one of his top five cards in the format. Uh, of the set, sorry. Not in the format. Don't want to say the wrong... Put the wrong words in your mouth, Brian. Um, how excited are you about Syncopate and Standard? I think it's good. I think it fills a hole that a lot of decks had. Um, I, I may have rated it a little bit too high. I think there's cards that I would put above it now. Um, but I, I do think it adds a dimension that some of these control decks were lacking. The, the more important add for the control decks is Teferi. Um, the blue-white decks have like a reasonable win condition now that just takes over the game very, very quickly. Teferi is a classic Planeswalker. But it's an incredibly strong Planeswalker. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's not an exciting card on its face. It was my number two card in the set. Um, I, I think that it's a, pr- a pretty big game changer for the blue-white control decks. Um, and they'll be able to take advantage of it. As, as far as Derek's list, it looks like he just couldn't afford new cards. So just ran back what he had before. Um, this deck does not look great to me. I, I don't Where's know Where's your why. list? Can I, can I look at your list? I, I have a job. I, don't I would like to talk about your list. Where is it? So, um, 
what what I would do is actually try and innovate and bring something new to the table. Um, basically, it's pretty easy to five zero when everyone's playing suboptimal decks. I would look for something. Oh, if, where, if it's so easy, where's your list? Again, again, Derek, I have a job, so I was not sitting on photo all day. Um, That's but, rough. But what I would look towards is, uh, I, I think the clear level one of this format are the white aggro decks. There's tons of them among these 5-0 lists. Um, Benelish Captain, I, I believe that's the name of the card. Um, obviously a very powerful card. Benelish Marshall, I'm sorry. Uh, super powerful card. History of Benelia, just insane. Uh, I kind of, when I first evaluated the card, was for some reason thinking of Sagas as legendary. They're not. You can just jam a bunch of History of Benelias on board at the same time, and you're just cranking out tokens, um, eventually getting a huge burst. So um, I'm into these white decks. That being said, they're beatable. They're very beatable, like inherently beatable. Any white aggro strategy usually is. Uh, but as it stands for these early weeks, I think the aggression of the white decks is kind of the best place to be. Um, I heard some concerns that maybe they fold to stuff like Chain Whirler. I just don't see that. I think they rebuild really well. Um, they have ways of playing around Chain Whirler. So if you're looking for just the baseline deck, you're going to show up to a room full of unprepared players. You could do much worse than white, uh, where the deck goes in the future. Again, Teferi is a really nice place to look. Settle the wreckage. I like the look of the Mardu lists, which have now um, heavily included Karn, which, by the way, was my number one card in the set. Um, I think Karn will... The reason Karn was my number one card in the set, I think it'll be very good in Standard. It's going to be insane in both Modern and Legacy. Uh, I think it's probably a four of in Affinity. It replaces the other silly things you could do, like... Um, you know, the three drops like S champion and uh, whatever the big blue guy is. Master of Ethereum. So I think Karn is just better in that slot and lets you play a more versatile game. And it's just like he's cranking out like six sixes and seven sevens in the affinity deck. Uh, and there's there's the legacy deck, which Tommy Ashton did very well with a few weeks ago, um, which is kind of like a uh, legacy prison type affinity deck. Uh, it's going to play Karn in lar large numbers. It's going to see play all over the place. But people are still figuring out the best Karn list for standard. Once that's solved, it could be the best deck. I mean, it's got that kind of two-way swing to it, right? Where it's going to be able to switch roles really effectively. Uh, if Karn can function in your deck as both an aggro enabler, uh, a catch-up tool, and a way for you to execute a control game plan, possibly in post-board games, it's going to be super impactful. And, you know, things like Mardu will do that very, very well. But there's probably something even better you can be doing with Karn, and people are going to figure that out eventually. Uh, Rob, I saw you were itching to jump in. It's just refreshing having Brian back in the cast, that's all. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, uh, we're aligned, Brian. I was talking about how Karn was probably good in Affinity and Mardu just a few weeks back. Um, I'm, I, I think he definitely has a, a, a very annoying place in eternal formats. Yeah, he'll, he'll be widely played. It's too bad we couldn't just get together without Derek here so we could have a real discussion and, and get to some, <laughs> some good conclusions. You know, you and I could really gel off each other, maybe get this standard to a place where it's starting to get solved. Instead, we have to deal with decks that were old like three months ago. But, you know, one day it'll just be you and I here bouncing ideas off. I, I just want to, like, scoreboard. Like, I 5 <laughs> like, my, my list is on the website. Derek, you've... I, I would be surprised if, if your win rate in Standard was, was higher than that. I can put that moto right now and look at my constructed I'm, rating. I'm one, I'm one for one in my Standard League. <laughs> that's, that's where I stopped. <laughs> that in a thousand. Can't argue with that. <laughs> catch you, up. Try catch up. <laughs> Connor, Connor, would you go that far? Do you think you see Connor replacing some of these, uh, man, these staples of the archetype for so long? Uh, in S well, S Champion Master, they, they sort of like either one or, or the other show up usually uh, over the past couple of years. Um, yeah, I think Master of Ethereum has always been kind of bad. So Karn makes a lot of sense to me as like a better version of that. Uh, S Champion gives you a lot of flexibility. Um, I guess like sweepers, removal spells. So you probably still want some amount of X champions, but I definitely think Karn is better than Master of Ethereum in general. Um, it makes your signal pass draw is a little bit worse because you don't have the Lord effects, but who cares? You're getting seven sevens, so 
I think Karn is good. And I'd like to see you can play off of two ancient tombs, and that seems pretty good to me. So um, that makes a lot of sense to me. All right. It's because non-blue planeswalkers are in such a good place in legacy in general. Um, you know, things like Liliana of the Last Hope is a great legacy card right now, um, mostly by virtue of being black, um, being castable before turn four in a bunch of decks. And Karn's going to check all those same boxes. Um, and they, it, the legacy decks just don't deal with planeswalkers well. Think about something like uh, like Grixis Delver. If you resolve a Karn against them and you're at parity, it's almost impossible for them to catch up. It, it's such a huge ask for them to be able to get back into the game at that point. Uh, you know, with Jace, you have things like Pyroblast and you play a Pyroblast game instead. But as soon as the Planeswalker is non blue, uh, they quickly take over games in Legacy. Wow. Rob, Rob, are you going to jam this in your affinity testing list? I'm just playing KCI. It might make my KCI sideboard, though. I'm not sure how I want to combat Stony Silence. I thought you can solve Antiquities War. Antiquities War is good. That's where I'm starting. That's where I'm starting is Antiquities War. (laughs) Shaheen's right, dude. (laughs) I I don't think Karn's terrible, though. Like, it, it, uh, having cards in your graveyard is good, and having some card selection is good, so it it might, it might be okay. We'll see. I, I think Antiquities War just, it might be the truth, though. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem terrible to me either. I, it may come down to... I mean, Karn might even end the game faster in a lot of spots. Um, it's hard to say. It's hard to it's say. It's like 6-6, six, 7-7 six, uh, seven, yeah. seven, seven, goal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rob, have you ever had a chance to mess uh, around with Standard? Not really. I was testing Modern uh, before, like right when the set came out. Um, and then I've been playing sealed in prep for GP Columbus uh, this weekend. All right, we're, we're going to pick your brain just a bit, just um, just to wrap up the standard. Derek, do you, do you agree with uh, Brian that that model white decks might be a great place for people uh, to attack the the format with everyone maybe playing a lot of slower decks, experimenting with other stuff? You just play a not no nonsense white aggressive deck and and just stomp people. Yeah, uh, that or like the mono green decks also do good. If your opponent's playing a bunch of one ones and you slam a Galta, I think like you're gonna win that war. Uh, same with like the green red decks. Uh, they're also pretty good against the graveyard decks because they have built in abrades and struggle to survive. Um, other than that, yeah, you probably just want to be aggro week one or week two. Um, don't try to get dirtily with control right now. It's probably not a good idea. I'm really attracted by the four card four to fairy blue white list though. <laughs> Five owned by who? Who is this? I, I'm I'm still looking over them because I keep looking at my name that's on the list. Uh, I don't know if anybody else saw that. Okay, what website are we looking at? Because like Goldfish just has no Dominaria cards in their I'll, list. I'll I'm it. trying to figure yeah. out what the hell's going on yeah. here. <laughs> Thanks. It's, it's about, about yeah, three quarters down the page is my name. <laughs> it's a uh, five list uh by Kuru Kuru, four Karn, four Teferi, four cast out, four it actually plays four history of Vanelia, three Oath of Teferi, four seal aways, three disallow, two settle the wreckage, two supreme will, two syncopate, three knight of grace, and one oh, yeah, of the Whoa. This yeah, this deck's wild. It just plays like why only three disallow? Why well, how are you going to fit the the Lyra, Derek? Idiot. What? Well, it's playing 24 lands. With <laughs> three Knight of Grace. Yeah, I, this deck's a little bit savage. I would I not recommend it. it. <laughs> two Saddle, two Supreme Will. Yeah, I don't get the rest of that. I was excited by the Planeswalkers. combo deck. That, that's, what, that's, that's what's going on here. What's the combo? <laughs> uh, blinking it with Teferi, right? Is that what happens? Oh, no, you have to... Oh, with Oath of Teferi. Yeah, that, that's how it works. What? Oh, you you blink it, right? And then you get another... You get to reset. You get more knights. Yeah. Uh, combo. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess that's why they banned Felidar Guardian, right? Because it was too good with Sagas? It's too good with History of Benalia, specifically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would have broken standard if Felidar Guardian was legal. Yeah, I'm not sure what we can tell from this list other than probably History of Benalia, Teferi, and Karn are like 
good. That, that's all I can determine here. <laughs> he was able to five out. Opponent didn't know how to play around wrath effects because they didn't really know what was going on. Oath of Teferi might be actually good too. I haven't had a chance to really like kind of sit and think about it though. Return to the battlefield next step. Uh, it it why, just like why? it flickers a permanent, and then you can activate your your planeswalkers twice, right? Yeah, but like, uh, sees win more as five mana. I think I'd rather play a Scarab God. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think the 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 way it works though, like the way this deck list is built, is that you're casting History of Benalia, you're getting a two two, you're untapping, you're settling them. Uh, and then you're playing Oath of Teferi on five, resetting hit history, and then, uh, and then next turn you're dropping Teferi, and you're like drawing two cards and untapping four lands. So oh, yeah, like you, sure. you can protect it, I guess. Uh, like, uh, is that good? I, I have no idea, but I mean, I think that's the plan. It is a plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, given that it, I don't think that's great, it means that those cards are probably uh, very strong. So it's interesting. Interesting to know. Three of my top five cards from the set. Top five, right top five, top yeah, five. You just pick all the mythics, Brian. Must have been hard for you. Eh? Yeah, I mean, well, this that's how they designed the game now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I take what I get. Bladeswalker. Uh, did Jaya make your top ten? No, it did not. Okay, good. Oh, good, good, I really good, wanted good, it too. It really tilts me when I see people on Twitter talking about how great that card is. It's really good. You said it was really good. You tell yourself. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not sure I said that. <laughs> Remember when you said it was really good? Because you don't know how to read. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that's <laughs> right. I was like, oh, this card might be good. It feels like you don't know it how to read. It me on Twitter when I read my own tweets. I must have read it eight times, and I still didn't understand what's going on. But, yeah, the card is definitely bad. <laughs> I think uh, yeah, I think this Kuru Kuru deck, uh, like you explained, Rob, just play a bunch of early removal, and then it's got this crazy late game against these dumb creature decks that you know they they won't be able to come back from this. But you're just making knights every turn, drawing cards, and then it's game. Yeah, over. I just like Knight of Grace just seems real race. weird. Yeah. Why is it playing four Aether ups? Why wouldn't it just play? Like another field of ruin or some islands and swamps because it's not playing any glimmers. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I get I mean, it. I, you need to you need to put energy in your deck. I don't know. Yeah, it's a weird one. Maybe Brian's right. Misplaced ginger amongst all these five old decks doesn't look that impressive. So, oh, I mean, <laughs> boom. No, I, like, I think this is a good place for someone to start if they want to actually like take this list and start tuning it. But I, I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, you want to be like not playing Knight of Grace and probably Lyra in the main deck. And you probably want a 25th or 26th land and at least a few draw spells. And I think, uh, I think you might actually have a deck here that's blue-white control that's based on generating value with History of Benalia and then just like being very annoying with Teferi very quickly. All right. Um, let's let's wrap up uh, the show, basically, Rob. With with your thoughts on on limited. Man, flyers are so good in this format. They're just so damn good. The removal looks like it's so bountiful uh, in sealed, anyways. Um, but it's it's not like the removal you get is usually pretty good. Like when you're lucky enough to have uh, have some, but it's not just like everywhere, which is interesting. Um, and I found that like even medium blue-white decks that have a reasonable amount of flyers are kind of like just a notch above what the other decks are doing. And then like decks that were probably pretty good in draft, like blue-red wizards, are just almost never playable um, in sealed unless you're like, you know, just bestowed the nut pool. And the same goes for kind of like the black-green Thalads deck. It's just doing a bunch of a bunch of nothing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like that, the I forget what the card is. It's some Sphinx. It's a 5-mana 3-4. It lets you scry 2 when it comes into play. And the Drake, that's like a 2-2 two, two that has um, kicker 4 plus 2 plus 2 counters. Those cards are just so fantastic. I mean, they're way above what you'd expect. Especially like coming from Ixalan, the creatures were like pretty reasonable. And we were paying 5-mana for just a 3-4 flyer. <laughs> and 3-mana for just a 2-2 two, two flyer. <laughs> These ones are a lot better. Uh, the... the- the Sphinx we're talking about was a 3-4 Cloud Reader Sphinx, 3-4 yes. Flyer. 
Yes. Uh, four colors, one blue fly. Like you said, comes into play, uh, square two. And what's the other one you, you mentioned? The Drake? It's a Drake. It's a three minute. It's a wind Drake that has kicker for four. It is called. It is called uh, Ac- Academy Drake. Yeah. Uh, kicker four flying. It, it was kicked, enters with two plus one plus one counters on it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so like, and then when you're in this deck, like, normally Deep Freeze is not a removal spell that you're like trying to take. Um, but when, like, you know, you have 11 flyers or something in your deck, it's actually just kind of like murder, um, which is pretty good. So, um, so yeah, I've been, I've been uh, punished real hard trying to do uh, non-blue-white things by blue-white decks, um, and it's pretty frustrating. And then I've sided into what I thought was kind of really middling blue-white decks compared to what I thought were pretty reasonable black-white or white-red decks and had much better results. Um, just based on the fact that I can get over my opponent. Um, so one thing I've noticed in, in, in our nation and um, even talking to people outside of that, that they felt the format was slow. And, and it was spelled with a lot of O's, so that's really slow. Is that your sense as well, playing the format? I think it's probably like a full turn and a half or two turns slower than than Rivals, which is, yeah, I mean, that's... I don't think it's like as slow as uh, cons could be at times, uh, but it's definitely slowed down to a point where, you know, you probably want to have 17 lands in your deck most of the time, and some decks want 18, and then there's going to be bills that want 16, so there's a lot more uh, variety. Where, like, in Ricks, I was constantly playing 15 and 16 lands. I felt I felt very bad if I had to build a deck that was 17 lands. Um, where here, I feel like it's probably more correct. And it, it makes sense, like, there's a bunch of two, three, and four mana cards that have kicker three and four on them, right? So Watsi is either insane or they're expecting you to get to like turn turn ten, turn eleven pretty frequently. Um which which seems to be the case in sealed anyways. Uh draft, I think there are some aggro strategies that uh that'll be very annoying to deal with if people are dirtling too hard. So we'll see how that kind of pans out as the format evolves. So back back to your fire thing and the format being slow. So did you, a lot of matches come down to like the ground being gummed up a lot. Uh, yeah, like there's uh, uh, very frequently there'd be uh, a bunch of like two threes or three twos kind of staring at each other on the ground, and then like whoever plays the three power flyer first is usually to take control of the game pretty quickly. So a, a lot of the ways I was losing was like white flyer to blue flyer into uh into like some sort of tempo play either like a removal spell or a bounce spell and then if if you didn't have kind of like the exact opposite or better uh counter to that it was very hard uh to catch up obviously okay that's good um you guys have anything else for limited thoughts this early i think i think just rob just put in the grind so far out of all of us and that's some good advice my man, um, as we end the show, I did want to plug uh, another podcast that I've been listening to and that featured Brian. So I, I do want to talk to Brian about it because um, we love Brian. So we got to keep praising him so he comes back. <laughs> Human, Humans of Magic uh, by, man, I, I thought that was an amazing episode uh, that you did by what Game Shu, I think, I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Um, someone that I actually interviewed. Uh, we had him at, on the old uh, 18 podcast because he was putting out uh, a book. And, uh, man, I think he might be – there's been a lot of them, but he's one of the best one-on-one interviewers that, that – there's not, there's not been that many over the five years who've done, like, one-on-one focused podcasts, but I was really impressed by his work. I was really impressed by uh, your episode, Brian. I think I really enjoy a lot of these um, – I'm all about building – personalities to attract people to the game. I've said this multiple times on this show of, of ways that maybe Watsi could do it so that you care more about the players. And uh, I came away being a bigger Brian fan than I already was listening to the episode, especially uh, through your many different uh, experiences, whether it be your lawyer life, your uh, years as being a part bartender, and now being a podcaster, uh, the game podcast, still be a first strike coast, of course, and all those different experiences and relating to your relationship with your parents. I, I feel like the same way than you. It was awesome, Brian. 
Yeah, I got to give all the credit to James because he was so uh, professional and like prepared and came with a great script and was also just like a he's a legitimately great interviewer, like not just in the magic context. He's just good at what he does um, and he really gets it. Um, You know, it's a shame he's not like Wizards full time guy to be doing the interviews at. Um, PTs, but I know, you know, he's a professional. He's got his own thing going on and you can't just take all the great professionals from every other field and throw them into wizards. It doesn't work that way. I get it. But um, I thought he was fantastic at what he did. And I had a really, uh, a really good time talking with him. And I think the feedback has been pretty positive overall. It seems like a lot of people found something to take away from the chat. So if you haven't checked it out, definitely go check out uh, humans of magic as James cast. Uh, and you just head to his site and, and I'm on there. Maybe KYT can stick a link in the show notes or something. Um, but yeah, all credit to James. He did a fantastic job. Um, and you know, it was a pleasure to work with. Yeah, I think he crushed it. Uh, the title of his book was uh, magic, the addiction, and it basically talked about his life and, and how, um, the, the game affected his, his life both positively and negatively. And he actually, has uh, I haven't checked his website in a while. He actually has a website specifically for the podcast called humansofmagic.com, so pretty easy if you want to subscribe. Um, my favorite two episodes, obviously I'm biased, are uh, Brian's episode and Jerry, where he gets really uh, deep about his depression. And so, uh, yeah, like, like Brian said, I felt like James did an incredible job in preparation. I even like was telling Brian how insane I was just – had so much praise for for what James did during the episode and, and uh, all the episodes I've listened to that James has done that, you know, he'd be killer if he had some, if he was doing this on a bigger platform. So hopefully uh, people just subscribe so he gets a bigger audience because he deserves it, in my opinion. I'm going to give a shout out to all the First Strike uh, producers, uh, Jonathan Good, Kyle Smirchik, Jay Thomas Eaton, Sasha Papo, Derek Pite, Matthew Kelly, Adrian Murchison, everyone in the nation as always, for supporting this cast. It's great. Feels like we're still going strong, especially with Brian Rob in this episode. Crapping on Derek. That was, that was classic. That was classic for Strike. Connor, thank you so much for coming on the show and giving your modern insights. And uh, I look forward to more of your videos. People should check out some of your videos that you're producing on Flipside because, hey, there's not that much high-quality video content that I can recommend that, is, that has a person with a competitive mindset uh, being the face of that, so be sure to check out your work. Um, yeah, Connor, any other plugs that you want to make? Uh, no, thanks. I appreciate it. Definitely check out flipsidegaming.com. We have some exciting stuff coming down the pipeline, so uh, definitely keep your eyes peeled. Okay. Um, the only other plug I have is uh, make sure to check out mtgnationals.ca. Uh, it's unfortunately that it's for, for a lot of people who have already booked plans or uh, the conflict. Uh, for Canada Day weekend, but it's also positive in a lot of aspects because uh, a lot of people booking will have like their day off on Monday or whatever, and it's going to be another awesome event in my opinion. So if you guys haven't uh, checked out the site or pre-registered, uh, the I mean the play mat is going to be flooded strand, the promo is going to be flooded strand, and if you play any qualifier or trial on the Friday, it's thirty dollars to enter a Canadian. And I'm pretty sure like. I'm not, again, I'm not in Medina. I'm not in the finance. I'm pretty sure $30 to get a flooded strat is probably like just winning money, I would imagine. Um, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I have no idea. But it just sounds like it likely is. Um, and uh, lots of good deals to be had. Uh, anything else from you guys? All righty. Brian. I, I have nothing. I'm happy to be back. Um, I appreciate you having me back even if you had to do it in the most trolling way possible. Um, hopefully it's not as long between my next appearances, but I make no guarantees. I like to keep the air of mystery about me. I like it. You never know when I'm going to show up. So I'm basically a guest at this point now too, right? Don't feel that. <laughs> um, one, one question while we have you here, Brian, I love this question from Aaron Barrett. Obviously someone who always watches us live. If you consistently have a 20% win rate, can you recommend a different hobby? <laughs> First of all, I'm only here because Aaron Barrett asked me to come on. Uh, and I promised him I would be here in the month of April. So I, I was very cognizant of him when I was making my decision to show up today. 
So I owe it to him to answer his question. Uh, a 20% win rate definitely points to maybe diversifying um, what kind of things you're going to be looking to, to take on. Um, obviously, you like magic quite a bit. Not really hitting a home run thus far. First of all, stick with the magic thing. Don't give it up. You know, we were all growing at one point. Uh, there's certainly been times in my life I had a 20% win rate. I remember when I started playing limited on Moto, I had like no limited experience and all the great limited players hopped right on Moto and started crushing. My limited rating was like 1300 at some point. I was just getting smashed all the time. Um, and this comes from a time when literally nobody knew how to play limited. It was just like six guys in the world. Um, and obviously I only played like the eight, four Qs, which is what I think they were at the time. Actually, it might have been bigger than them. There might have been like 12-6 cues back then. We're talking like 2002. Uh, and just got ranched for months and months and months until, you know, at some point, I remember climbing onto the leaderboard where I was one of like the top 25 limited players in the world. But it took a lot of losing to get to that point. So don't be discouraged, but maybe play a little bit of like League of Legends or, you know, there's a, a new Blaze Blue game coming out soon. If you're into fighting games, you can do a little bit of that. Just diversify a little bit. Don't let it get to you. Don't let yourself get stressed out. Yeah, pick something else up for a little while when you're feeling bad about it. <laughs> great, great advice, Brian. Great advice. All right, for everyone else, uh, we will see you next Monday. Thanks for joining. Uh, hit us with a thumbs up if you enjoyed the content. Love you guys. Peace. Peace.